For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You're, somebody is feeding you a steady diet of bullshit and you're just forking it in there like, mm, this is delicious. <laughs> this is delicious. Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, the original lyricist behind such hits as Single Ladies and Private Dancer, my brother Mike. That's right. I wrote them both. Did all the choreography, too. Of course. Of course. What's a up? dancer for right. money. You just do what right. you I'm just want that, me to do. Riding that Tina Turner money still, so <laughs> no problems here. Uh, classic. That, that's one of her, I, I feel like more people should know that song, Private Dancer. I feel like not too many people do anymore. If you haven't listened to it, one of Mike's greats, go out and go to Spotify or whatever. Listen to Private Dancer by Tina Turner. It'll, it'll uh, I was Tina going. Turner's muse, everybody. For most of the eighties, I was Tina Turner's muse. Most that's just 80s. what I did. Yeah, that, that's, that's mm-hmm. the case. Uh, on this week's episode, we'll look back at another rough week for the Royals, discuss what was an incendiary piece about the Royals that came in the athletic this week and preview the final homestand of the 2022 season. Mike, is there anything we need to touch on right here off the top at the beginning, besides the fact that some stuff is going down in the Royals verse? No, I'm excited to get to that, to the intrigue, to the drama that is the Royals organization Mm -hmm. at this point. I'm excited to get to that. I feel like somebody going to throw, throw a drink in somebody's face or pull someone's weave. I'm looking forward to that. Um, (laughs) It's going to be good stuff. All right, we'll get to last week's baseball then. Let's start with the roster news. There was very little of it. In fact, there was only one real transaction that the Royals made this week, which is very unusual. That transaction was Edward Olivares was reinstated from the injured list. Yay, great to have him back. In a corresponding move, a surprise corresponding move, Nick Prado was optioned to AAA. So he's going back to the Omaha Storm Chasers for like a week, week and a half until their season is over. And then that'll be that for Nick Prado. Prado struggled at the major league level. There's no real denying that. He, he hit 184 with a 271 on base and a 386 slugging, which is just an 82 weighted runs created plus. But I think most people suspected that he would get the rest of the season to acclimate to major league baseball. Yeah, that was what I was suspecting because I didn't feel like giving Ryan O'Hearn at bats was going to be all that crucial. Neither was hanging on to him for next year. There were other things that you could have done. So I just don't understand why you send Nick Prado down for 10 days in AAA. That being said, you know, it's not that big of a deal for me, but that's it, that it, was my thought. Actually. It again is like just another in a long line of evidence that I'm not entirely sure these guys understand who their future is and what what they can do. Now, maybe there's some other reason why they're doing this for him, but. I don't think he benefits any more getting those 10 days in AAA than he would playing out the major league season. Well, it's just another indicator that it seems like they don't really have a plan ever. Right. And so Mike Matheny came out afterwards after he got uh, demoted and was just like, well, we need to get him to a place where he can be getting every day at bats. And it didn't look like he'd be getting at bats here. It was like, how come this wasn't like all planned out before Prado ever came up to where like Matheny was on the same page as Piccolo and everybody was working together. Like, Hey, this guy's going to get at bats. If not, then why bring him up in the first place? Like, so he had a pretty high strikeout rate in AAA. his strikeout in the major rate in the majors was 36%, even higher. It's understandable that, Hey, maybe the guy needs to go back down. You know, like I, like I actually am like you and I don't think it's that big of a deal because it's like, you can work on the stuff that you need to work on at the major league level or in AAA. It doesn't particularly matter in my mind, but it just is one of those another sort of evidence point that there doesn't seem to be a real cohesive plan there when it comes to how players will progress, when they will move up, what we need to see from somebody before they move up. Because the issues he's having right now were the exact same ones he was having before he was brought up, but he was still brought up. And so the question is like, 
Did you not see what you needed to see? Or were you not sh- sure that this was the big problem? Or did you think he could handle it at the major league level? I don't know exactly. But it was clear that, like, you know, this was going to be an issue. The question is, why didn't you see that sooner? Or, you know, why are you playing around with him? Now, it could just be that they feel that Prado could gain some confidence by going back down to AAA and shelling there for a little while. And maybe that's what they really want. Maybe they think it's a mental thing for him. I don't know. I'm not saying it's a bad idea to send him back down to AAA. I'm just saying it's a weird one. And it's like another evidence point that you're sending guys up and back down. And that's usually not the sign of a real healthily functioning organization. Especially not in September when you're out of contention and this is your f- part of your future. Usually those guys come to Major League Baseball then. They don't leave Major League Baseball then. So, yeah, I agree. And even if it is, even if they have a plan, if they do have a plan and this is part of it, they communicate that very shittily. Yeah, so very like, poor communicators. They, he could have easily said something like, he hasn't done the things that we need him to do while he was up here. And so we're sending him back down. Okay, well, then at least we think you had a plan in place like mm-hmm. but he they don't say that and this is no. part of what Dayton Moore's comments have been too it's like okay there's something you could say here that would make sense you don't ever say that no, <laughs> so you don't you know yeah. and the weird thing yeah. is is like I mean you could reasonable minds can disagree whether or not it makes more sense to have him continue his development at the major league level or go back down to the minors to do it right I'm willing to listen to either of those arguments I don't even have a preference at this point um, but you know it is weird to hear them so out of sync when it comes to communicating to, to say the dumb thing of what well, we can't get them every day at bats. You're the one who decides who gets at bats. Man. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> we just you're can't get them in that lineup every day. Ryan O'Hearn is on this bench right now. Like exactly. Hunter Dozier gets regular at bats on this team. Come on. This is nuts. Um, the only other sort of transaction of the week they, they list it as a transaction, but it's really not is Angel Zerpa was sent out on a rehab assignment. So he pitched, I think two innings, the Storm Chasers recently did pretty well. You know, we'll see if he ends up getting back. I, I don't think he'll be back in the majors this season, but we'll see uh, on him and see where he's at at the start of next year. On the field, things were not good this week or this last week. The Royals went one and five. Ouch. That brings their overall record to 58 and 89. A lot of those games didn't appear all that close. Uh, it was hard to watch at times. The young players looked gassed, which you mentioned on last week's episode. The young hitters look overly aggressive, like they're out of their plan. They're not really trying to stay within that plan that Zumwalt sort of has tried to instill. With the exception of the start Brady Singer made on Saturday, it all looked pretty bad. Uh, Your thoughts on this last week of actual gameplay, Mike? Well, I I will disagree with you there. I also think it looked really good in the John Heasley start because Heasley start was fantastic I forgot about John Heasley start. We didn't win the game, but his start was fantastic. So you did get two good starts. Uh, The rest was with the exception of the offense on singers day was bad. It was really, really bad. And so uh, we almost got no hit (laughs) by Joe Ryan. Um, Yeah. So it wasn't good, but uh, you know, I thought that would be the case. I I mentioned it last week. Guys are going to get tired. I said, I think they're one of the young teams that's actually getting gassed as the year goes on. Sometimes young teams with, you know, with guys that have a year or two in the game, they're like, Oh, we're young. We're not hurt. We have more energy at the end, but none of these guys have played a full season before. So I feel like they're going to be gassed and they are. Well, I think there's also they're limping across this finish line, metaphorically speaking. There's an element to what we have to ask about, which is like, are they also demoralized? Are they demoralized not just because they've lost a lot of games, but because they are not like completely ignorant of all the conversations around their own team and around like, what the Royals don't do well and all that sort of thing. They see other teams and other young players getting better. They see other, you know, organizations where things are run better. You know, I wonder to what degree they might just be demoralized by one, an atmosphere that Mike Matheny creates in the locker room, which has been described as toxic in the past. Right. And two, the notion that, man, I play for a team that's not going to get the most out of me because they don't know what they're doing. Right. Like, and so that sort of conversation and that talk, you think those guys didn't read that piece in the athletic? I guarantee you they did, right? I guarantee you they did. Okay. And so yeah. that sort of thing could really be somewhat demoralizing to a team, especially of young players who are like, man, why I got to get drafted by the Royals? Like, I can't imagine what some of the pitchers in this organization are thinking. And, and I'm sure they have been thinking it prior to that piece coming out because they're in it. They know, like there are guys going, wait, how come I can't get numbers on myself when, when they're there or how come, you know, 
they mentioned something I think that's a little bit uh, in the article, which we're going to talk about here in a second, about players watching film with coaches and how that used to be a, a hard and fast rule. You had to have a coach with you to watch. You know, players are asking why. Why is mm-hmm. this? Back in the day, it, now this is now a while ago, and it's not Royals policy anymore, but back in the day it was, why can't I long toss? Mm-hmm. You know? And now it seems to be like, why can't I get my numbers? Why can't I have this that other guys in other organizations have? And the Royals seem to want to guard like it's, I don't know, Alibaba's treasure. Why do I, why do I have to throw my fastball so much? You know, why do I have why to? Do I have to know, exactly. Why, all these things. Like and and yeah, if I'm, I mean, think about that. If you're drafted by the Royals, if you're uh, that cat, what is it, Sandlin out of Oklahoma mm-hmm. that we drafted, I'm going, uh-oh. Yeah. Uh, was this the best place for me to go? Uh, I know, you know, I, <laughs> can honestly, I get a like, do over? Can I go back to school? Would, I think guys are going to start looking at that stuff and going, wait a second. Is this the, the, the organization I want to be a part of if I'm a pitcher now hitting wise, if they're really doing their research and they know the Royals have had some success recently developing hitters, but I, I'm, I, if I'm Chris Bubich, who's a smart guy, I want out, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I want and simple. out. Well, tell us about a guy who had a great week. You mentioned him already this week. Let's get into our strong performers. How did John Heasley do for the Royals this week, Mike? John Heasley had one start, but he was might be the best start that he's had in a Royals uniform. Six and, a, and two thirds innings pitch, only two hits given up five strikeouts and three walks, no runs. He looked like what you want John Heasley to be. When John Heasley is at his best, one, his velocity on his fastball is in that 94 to 95 range. When it starts to dip down below that, it can be quite hittable. But he's locating that and his secondary pitches very consistently. And we all know he's going to pitch quick. You know, this pitch clock's not going to do anything to John Heasley. He already throws. He already has quite the pace. Um, But he didn't puke. Just beautiful stuff from old John Heasley. When, he, when still, he keeps his dinner in his stomach, that he does all he does real well. Yeah, I'm still driving the John Heasley bandwagon. I think he's the kind of guy you want as a four or five starter on this Royals rotation. Yeah, I love to seeing him really be effective uh, during his start. It was vintage John Heasley, really, except for the three walks. Usually, he's going to be a guy who, who doesn't uh, allow so many walks, but he was out there. He was locating the fastball up in the zone. He was getting swings and misses on it. It was really nice to see. So uh, hopefully that uh, builds some momentum for him moving forward. I was happy to see Edward Olivares back. So I chose him as my strong performer. Not a ton of strong performers to choose from this week. I thought about Brady Singer, but we give it to him a lot. I, the hitting side was just Salvador Perez and a couple other, maybe yeah. Edward Olivares. <laughs> I actually had Perez up there initially, but I was like, ah, we got to look at him. We give it to him all the time. So I gave it to Edward Olivares, even though he only played in two games this week. He's three for eight. The guy just seems to hit the ground running when he comes back off the IL. He just starts hitting again. Like, he has never not hit for the Royals this year. Uh, three for eight this week with two doubles, a walk, and one walk and one strikeout. I really am excited to see what he can do. I hope he can stay healthy. Their outfield options right now don't look super settled. The outfield doesn't look settled moving, and nobody's really taken the reins like you'd hope they would. Like no Kyle Isbell or Nate Eaton or um, uh, Drew Waters or even you know uh, Melendez and Prado when they play out there. Nobody's really taken the reins and said I am going to be in this outfield moving forward. And so Olivares looks like a guy who you can very least say, "Hey, I know he's not a great fielder, but the dude hits, and if you hit, you can play." And so. He looks like he might be an answer in the outfield if he can stay healthy. I really, really hope he can next year for the entire season, definitely for the rest of this year. And uh, we'll, hopefully we have at least somewhat of an answer uh, by, with him offensively. Let's not forget one of the most important things. He's right-handed. Mm-hmm. And so the Royals are thin on light, right-handed bats right now. This guy looks like a, a good one. So find him place for him, hide him in left field or something, and then uh, let him let him hit that left-handed pitching especially because – uh, the dude can seems to seems to rake and you still got some control over him. So, yeah, we're going to be talking about somebody who did not rake uh, this week <laughs> as our next topic. Mike, tell us somebody who was not swinging a hot stick this week. Yeah, since the all star break, Michael A. Taylor has not looked very good. Uh, more value lost if you're the Royals. More value for not lost him. there. Great uh, one there. Two, he was two for 16 this week with no extra base hits one walk and six strikeouts. And so we have him on a uh, contract for another year. He, he did, the first half of the year was Michael A. Taylor at his offensive best, probably. 
and he just hasn't looked the same since the all-star break. So I don't know. I guess you've got him for another year. You got another great defensive center fielder for another year. They should trade him in the off season. Just like we said, they should have at the trade deadline. They should again in the off season, but they probably won't. Yeah. And so you have to think like, okay, now Michael A. Taylor has to be fit into this outfield somewhere. Cause you know, they're going to play him if he's under contract, then what? He's taken away opportunities from Drew Waters, Kyle Isbell, Nate Eaton, all those guys, you know, like, and so we'll see on Taylor, you know, it's not his fault. I don't blame Michael A. Taylor. He's playing some of the best baseball of his career this year. Um, he's just part of a cis organization that has no friggin' clue what they're doing half the time. And so for some reason, he's going to play out the rest of this contract. And then it's going to be like, maybe, he, maybe they trade him for a reliever or something at the deadline next year, but it's not nothing good. Nothing good's coming out of it. No, nothing like, Oh man, they got peak value for Michael A. Taylor. None of that's going to happen. So uh, it's too bad. It's another, another story, you know, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Um, the guy I'm talking about for a week performer this week, we've already mentioned him once. We think he would probably kill for an opportunity to get out of this organization. That is Chris Bubich. Uh, he pitched in two, started two games this week, went seven and two thirds, gave up 17 hits in those seven and two thirds, four walks, two home runs with eight strikeouts. Bubich has just never looked like he is. Um, well, he looks like first half Bubich basically like this week. He looked like the dude who has put too many balls in the middle of the plate. Real hittable, a fastball that just looks like a sweet cookie to everybody. Uh, just nothing good, nothing good coming out of changeups that spin in the middle of the zone. It's not a ton of walks. It's not. It's too many probably, but it's really the hits. They're just hitting them like crazy. Because the problem is he doesn't have the command to really live on the edges, but he's got to live on the edges. His stuff will not let him live in the middle, and so he goes into the middle and boom, it's a hit parade. And so that's what it looked like this week for Chris Bubich. Hopefully. I don't know. I don't know where their pitching development is going, but hopefully they all get they all get fired and canned, and he can start fresh next year. Maybe even bring in that slider. I don't know. I don't know what the answers are for Chris Bubich right now, besides getting to a different organization. But uh, hopefully, somebody who gets brought in can help him find a plan to become a successful pitcher. I brought up this theme. I, I create. I, I, I sat and thought about the theme that I was going to have for this week, and all I could think about was that story. Um, the Emperor's New Clothes, I think it's called. You know, like, is that the story, Mike? Is that what's titled? I, I think know. that's what it's I called. I think that's it. I don't know. It's been you a know long the story, right? Uh, you know, the, these two oh, con yeah. men tell an emperor that they have this beautiful suit of clothes for him or whatever, and they give it to him, and they, he can't see it. He's like, oh, these aren't clothes. There's nothing here. He's like, oh, no, they're invisible, you know, and all this sort of stuff, or, or whatever. Like, only certain kinds of people can see them or whatever. Anyway. All this back and forth between like the Athletic and Dayton Moore and JJ Piccolo and all the Royals commentators like us and Royals Farm Report and Rainy Giserly and all that just makes me think the Emperor has no clothes, right? Like it is, it is <laughs> that's my theme for the week, right? Like if you don't see that this team is terrible, that they're in dire need of an overhaul on the pitching side, then you have no clothes, if that makes sense, right? Like you're, somebody is feeding you a steady diet of bullshit. And you're just forking it in there like, oh, this is delicious. <laughs> this is delicious. Well, let's just let's eat this shit. You know, like that. That's what it is, because, you know, I, I can't. I can't. Somebody's telling you, hey, this is. Some and they're mixing it with Reese's you. peanut butter cup. And they're, and they're like, selling it for $12 <laughs> a sandwich at the yeah. fucking game. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's going on here, fellas. Uh, Dayton Moore, if you listen to this podcast, that's not filet mignon you're eating. It is horse shit. It is. Premium grade horse shit. Okay. So please just know that that's whoever's telling you that like, we're on the right track, boss. They are lying to you like a North Korean dictator. Okay. They just don't want to get fired. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> My theme is similar. <laughs> um, it's, and the band played on, which is a reference to the band on the, the Titanic. Uh, as the ship is sinking, the band is still playing for the passengers. Uh, that's kind of how it feels this week, not only with the play on the field, but with also all the extra stuff, uh, the front office seemingly in denial or in propaganda mode. I don't really know what you want to call it, but it feels like a sinking ship, but the the boys are still out there playing for the entertainment (laughs) of the masses. And so, uh, yeah, it's not, not good. It's not good. Ladies and gentlemen. 
It's really, really, really important to us that you subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on whatever platform you use. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps more people find the show and lets us know that we're doing something right and you want us to produce more content. Plus, Mike loses hair if our subscriber numbers don't go up. So help Mike's gallant fight against baldness. It's like a it's like a like a patchy thing that a bunch of people have been playing football on up there. It's just real, real bare. Got a haircut today. The lady just pulled it most of it out. That was just it's it's arrowhead in December. If you've ever been on that field, it's just it's all <laughs> painted over where it looks like grass, but there's no grass there. Right? It's free to subscribe, rate, and review. It takes very little time, but it does a world of good for us. So please help us out. We try and make you all this content. Do us a solid. And go review, subscribe, rate us, all that stuff. We also follow us on all the social medias, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We post a ton of additional analysis, though that's been waning as football coaching and stuff. We'll pick that back up uh, in the offseason and, and start of next year. But we post a bunch of additional stuff on there, content. So make sure you're giving a look to all that stuff too. If you've been paying any sort of attention to the Kansas City Royals for the last week, first off, my condolences. Second off, you also that also means that you've probably at least heard about the athletic article that we've referenced a few times on the show. It came out on September 15th. The piece was written by Rustin Dodd, Andy McCullough, and Alec Lewis, three former Royals beat writers. And I think that's important that they're former Royals beat writers here. Uh, I don't know that that piece gets published by any current beat writers. Uh, if you haven't read it, you should. But it, it essentially details the Royals' ineptitude developing pitching over the last 10 years or so, which we also talked about on last week's show. So if you're interested on, like, Royals pitching development, go back to last week's show as well. Uh, it also includes, it includes, this article from The Athletic includes quotes from rival executives, coaches, and scouts with plenty of thoughts on as to where the Royals have gone wrong in their pitching development. On Sunday, today, the day we're recording, Dayton Moore responded to the piece by claiming that portions of it were untrue and that they disagree, and that he disagreed with the assessment. Shocking, I know. He disagrees that anything is wrong. Uh, in Moore's opinion, Things are going well, and the young pitchers are just about to turn a corner. Luke Hochaver styles. You remember that, Mike? <laughs> Luke Hochaver, for those of you who don't remember, Luke Hochaver was always about to turn a corner, you know, <laughs> of some sort. Yeah, he, at one point he did turn a corner and walked right into the bullpen, is what he did. Yeah, and walked right into a, the bullpen. Became a was seventh for, inning guy. <laughs> was good for a year as a seventh inning guy. Then he walked right into retirement, around the corner and into retirement, really. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, Mike, I got to get your thoughts on this first. I, first, uh, what did you think of the athletic article? What did you think of what they said and all the, all the sort of thoughts laid out before us? I want I want to start with this. Those three writers, Rustin, uh, Andy McCullough and Alec Lewis are fantastic. They are very good yeah. beat writers. They were great when they were here with the Royals and they moved on. And that makes me sometimes wonder, well, does a Royals organization like that have a hand in, in those people moving on? Because we know that the Royals do not like criticism. You and I know this. Um, they do not. And, they, and so it's very difficult to do anything that's critical when you are the beat writer for them, because they then are, they're somewhat, you know, vindictive. They will cut off access to things. They will do. We know that to be true. We're not, we're not, yeah. you know, throwing out hot takes or tinfoil hat type stuff. Mark and I know those things to be true. And so, yeah. You know, it makes you wonder, why can't the star hang on to a good Royals beat writer? Not that the ones they have now aren't great, but these were three top-notch guys. I mean, they were all very good. So I, I trust the things that they write. Well, that's not from the that's not, that's not from the star, right? Like, so, well, let's see. Rustin was for the star. Andy was for the star. Alec was for the athletic. Yes. They all write for the athletic in some capacity now. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I just want to start it by saying I think those three are fantastic at what they do. Um, so I think the, the piece itself was the most comprehensive critique of how the Royals have developed pitchers over the last decade. It was detailed. It was well thought out. It, and I thought it was pretty fair. Honestly, I was like, was when I'm reading it, fair. when I'm reading it, I'm going, Overly you know, fair. they're, they're saying that these are, there are some valid reasons that may be out of the Royals control or some that, you know, you think are a very positive that the Royals do that may hinder them though, in some ways in this pitching development thing, um, as far as like loyalty and things like that. Um, and so, yeah, but I think if you go through and you read that, even though it was very fair, it was quite scathing. Like, and it's, mm -hmm. it's a lot of it was stuff that people were already saying as far as like people who are in the Royals media sphere, like people like us and Royals farm report and, and uh, Lesky and, and a lot of these people, they're out there saying 
parts of this stuff. Like, hey, this is what I think about this. This is what I think. This article brought it all together and said, hey, the stuff that fans a lot of times have been thinking and saying, there's some pretty clear evidence for it. As, as if you couldn't look at their record and know that there's evidence right. for it. But, right, exactly. Um, but or yeah. the pitching stats, right? Like, look yeah. at any of that, and it becomes very clear. Exactly. And 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 the messed up thing is what the, the, the organization saying, nope, that's not what you're – that's the thing maybe that pisses me off the most about the organization. They're basically saying, fans, you're not smart enough to understand this. Like, mm-hmm. what you're seeing isn't isn't real. What Now what this article is saying isn't real. Like, what? I'm not mm-hmm. supposed to believe this article. It's matching up with what I see every single day when I watch the games. Like, that's <laughs> well, like, ridiculous. They're like, you're essentially, they're saying, fans, you aren't qualified to make the assessment that we're not doing it right. And then this article says, no, nobody else in the industry thinks you're doing it right either. <laughs> like, exactly. Like, no, it just confirmed. And now they're like, no, they're, they're wrong too. It's like, is it that everybody but you is wrong or is it just that you're wrong? And the win-loss record indicates it's that everybody else is right and you're wrong. And so, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding, guys. It's not, this isn't like, you know, I, I don't know how to describe it. It's not like some grand conspiracy against the Royals, you know. The proof is right there on the friggin' field, you know. It's it's not that tough to see. And that's what was interesting to me is that, like, it struck me that so much of the article was simply just, like, relaying the truth and finding the opinions of people in the industry. But you mentioned it. These are things that people who pay close attention to this team have known for a while now. Now, you listed certain people, us, Royal Sarm Report, David Lesky. Do you know what all three of these people have in common? Or all three of these groups slash people have in common? None of them actually have access to the team, right? They're not beat reporters. I am not a beat reporter. You are not a beat reporter. Alex and Royals Farm are not beat reporters. And Lesky is not a beat reporter. We don't go to the games and talk to players. And as a result, they have no access to threaten us with. And so like, we say it all the time. We're the first to say it because we see it. Everybody else sees it too. But we see it and we're the first to say it because we're not worried about losing access. Right? Then Alec Lewis leaves the Athletics Royals beat to go be the Vikings beat writer. And then all of a sudden, this piece comes out. Immediately. Like, this, this has been a week. He left like a week ago. <laughs> it's immediately after. What are we, what are we talking <laughs> about here, people? That's exactly why that happened. He left the Royals beat. They could no longer threaten him with anything. And so, boom. He's now, you know, publishing the truth. You know, it's like, and, and that's not, I don't hold that against Alex. I, this is why I don't like access journalism to begin with. But. Nobody can say like, oh, you're just fans. You don't know. Nobody can say that anymore, right? Like th- this this article is like proof positive that the points that we make immediately that traditional media is so slow to take up have validity, right? We are people who understand this game. And the problem is, yeah, the, the Royals mothership will never acknowledge it. You know, this is no slight on Ann Rogers or anything like that. She does what she does and that's fine, but she's never going to acknowledge it. They're never going to let her. Right. Like, because she works for Major League Baseball, a la the Royals. Right. Like, and so it's just, it's one of those things that's like, in some ways, so vindicating to see this come out, this piece come out. I did want to read a quote from it because it's one of those points that is just one that people like you and I and Alex and others have made a hundred times. But it was like one of the big quoted takeaways from this article. I'm so, I'm just going to read a little excerpt from it right here. It says, if these stud pitchers, this is a quote from somebody, uh, a rival pro scout says, If these stud pitchers, Kowar, Lynch, Singer, all these guys, had they been Dodgers or Rays or Guardians, they would be very, very good. But unfortunately, they haven't been taught how to move well. They haven't been introduced to the metrics that gives them an idea of how they can pitch most effectively. That's like the most scathing thing, but also the thing that we have been saying for at least a year, maybe two, right? Yeah, and it's you're going to get into it here in a second. Kind of the the response from the team then – I wasn't angry when when that article came out and I read it. I was like, yup, yup. Vindication, as you'd said. Like, this is all stuff that we knew already. But the response that the, from the team that came today, oh, gosh. It, it made me angry. I, it made me angry. I'm not an angry person. I don't get angry very easily. It made me angry. And, and a little sad in that, you know, for, for alcoholics or for narcotics anonymous people, people who are in those kind of things, they say the, the very first step is recognizing that you have a problem. This team cannot recognize that they have a problem. No, <laughs> it's, it's like, <laughs> that's, that's my emperor has no clothes thing, exactly. man. They don't know. They don't have any clothes on <laughs> like, it's, it's, your bare ass is hanging out there for everyone to see, but you, yeah. you know, like, come on guys. Uh, very frustrating. Yeah, anyway, so let's talk a little bit about Moore's response to it, right? Like you, 
Moore came out today and essentially said, like, nope, everything's going fine. We believe in these young pitchers. We're not disappointed at all. It's all good. Sort of laying the groundwork for not firing Cal Eldred, honestly, or something. I don't know. We'll see what kind of crazy shit they get up to. But, Mike, what did you think about Moore's response to what happened? You were angry. What else? It's absolutely ridiculous is what it is. It's ridiculous. He starts the this response, and in case you're wondering, this is an interview f- from Ryan Lefevre. So, you know, you're not expecting yes, him on, to be – It was on, it was on, it was on someone else's show, right? Like, it was on yeah, 610 was on Radio, um, who carries the Royals games, <laughs> okay? And so Dayton Moore's not going to an unsafe place to do this, okay? No, no, so no. So Lefevre, no. having probably already told him that he was going to ask him this question, Asked him a question about it. And that's to Ryan Lefevre's credit. He didn't actually have to even ask him a question about it, but he did. And then Moore comes out and starts by saying, well, we accept criticism as an organization. After that sentence, everything else is them not accepting criticism as an organization. It's him saying this isn't true. Our guys are doing great. Uh, All this other just crap that is so blatantly untrue. And like I said earlier, he doesn't. Like like with Matheny earlier, he doesn't have to say these things. He can say the things that are very obvious to everybody else, right? Just go out there and say, yeah, we haven't had the development that we've wanted to this year. Boom. That's it. We, we respect those three writers and the work that they've done. We feel like there's still area for improvement too. Done. You just finished it. You don't have to do anything else with this. But instead, he lies to fans like we're idiots or something. And and again, doubles down on this idea that, well, the people, uh, if you're not in the organization, you just don't know. You can't know if you're not in the organization. You're not privy to all this information. I see the information every day on the field. Every day I see Chris Beach <laughs> go out there and get rocked. Every day I see Daniel Lynch go out there and struggle to get through five innings. I see it every single day. I look at the minor league numbers. I see Alec Marsh with a plus seven ERA. I see it all the time. You cannot, you cannot tell me you're wearing clothes. <laughs> you know? I love this analogy. Let's keep it going the whole <laughs> time. It's We're going to keep it going the We're whole time. We're going to keep it going, baby. No, see, that's what's crazy. Do you have some sort of magical numbers, Dayton Moore? Do you, what do you have that we don't? Because like, in the history of sort of baseball and baseball being covered, it was never that like, no, we just had a secret that nobody else had. The thing about baseball is it's like the most public sport there is. All the information is out there for everyone. If you want to do something with it, you know, like this is why the guys from baseball's perspectives ended up taking over front offices and stuff. This is why the guys from driveline are running pitching coordinating positions and things like that. Cause the data and how to use it is already out there. And now there are people who are using it better than, you know, these traditional baseball guys like Dayton Moore and all that crap, you know, like the reason they're taking over baseball and have taken over baseball really is because the information is just the information. There's no, you don't have any secret sauce Royals. Okay. You, you haven't, <laughs> you got lucky because this this thing worked out for you for a couple of years when you'd been picking in the top five for a number of years and you lucked into a really good bullpen, great. You won a World Series off it. But you don't have a secret sauce for putting together a sustainably winning team. And you should stop acting like you do. And like you're like 100 losses will not garner you the credibility to say, oh, we know something the fans don't. It won't. If you, if you did, you wouldn't win or lose 100 games, man. Come on. That's just basic logic right there. I want to talk a little bit about J.J. Piccolo, too, because he came out with a quote like a, a couple days before this article. And it actually ended up looking like this quote was maybe put in place to head off this article as like getting out in front of this article a little <laughs> bit. Uh, there was a quote that came out from J.J. Piccolo uh, that garnered some attention. He essentially placed the blame for underperforming young pitchers on the pitchers themselves, claiming that they need to, to take more responsibility for their own development. Does that make sense to you, Mike? Do, you, do the pitchers need to be taking more responsibility? Should we really be laying the blame on them for all of this instead of Dayton Moore and the pitching development? Absolutely not. Okay. This is just, and this made me mad when I first heard it too. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, you have to take responsibility for something. At some point, you have to take responsibility. Mike, the book stops okay? uh, over there. <laughs> Way over there somewhere, I think. That's that's Truman's famous <laughs> quote. The bus stops, stops uh, with somebody else. Definitely there. not me. Could never In be Trudy, me. Trudy, the office um, down but, the hall. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> that bitch has been undermining me for years. <laughs> All right. Um, no, like I don't understand why they would do this again. It does nothing for you to say this JB, JJ Piccolo, even if that's what you think you shouldn't be saying it. Don't throw your pitchers under the bus. You need these guys. Like, why would they listen to you now? That doesn't make any sense. Let's say, for example, that the Royals, these these prospects, and, and Bubich and Lynch were named. Were Specifically, named. yes. They were those, said those, by name. Those two were the two okay. he was talking about. Let's say those two don't listen, right? They're just, they're uncoachable, right? I would highly doubt that. They both played at prestigious college baseball programs. They're both very intelligent people. I highly doubt they just don't listen. But let's say that they're uncoachable. That is also your fault. <laughs> okay? That is your fault. It is your job. And, and Alec actually, or Alex actually mentioned this on a Royals, I think the last Royals Farm report that they did, where he mentioned where they talked about this. And he said, as a teacher, it's my job to make a relationship with a student and help that student learn to the best of my ability. That's your job as a as an organization as well. Not all of them are easy to make relationships with. Not all. It's still your job to do that. And if they aren't, that's something you should know before you draft them and don't draft them then. Like it's, it's that simple. Now, what do I really think this is? I really think that's JJ taking a shot at two guys who went out on their own, which is taking responsibility for their own pitching development, by the way, and worked outside the organization during the lockout. I think he's trying to take shots at these guys because they are trying to do the things that they've worked on with other people outside the organization. And that's not meshing with what the organization wants. And now they're saying the bad results that they've had are because they went and did that and aren't, and aren't being coached by them. Yeah. I think it's completely ridiculous. I think you have to step up and say, if we had a development system that people thought they could trust and we were communicating well, they wouldn't go outside the organization. Exactly. And that's the thing. It's their fault either way, because either your scouting department missed that these guys aren't coachable or have very little projection or your player development can't develop them. It, that, those are the only two options. It's one of those two, right? Because either way, it's on you. It's on the Royals organization for identifying these guys who shouldn't have been identified or for identifying guys who should have and then not developing them. One or the other, guys. And what I find so crazy is that this team talks about accountability all the time, but it is clearly just accountability for thee and not for me, right? Like that is, that is 100% the case. And they don't even clearly know what that word means, right? Like it's just a buzzword to them. They don't know, actually have a sense of what it means because if they did, a lot of the guys who work there right now wouldn't work there, right? Like they'd have been fired a long time ago. There is no accountability. If, in if this accountability was a thing. How could Cal Eldred have a he job? He wouldn't have a job. He wouldn't have a job. Mike Ma- at this point, Mike Matheny like, wouldn't have a job. Yeah, exactly. Like Dayton Moore probably wouldn't have a job, right? Like there, there is no accountability in this organization for anyone other than players, but it, that's only accountability in the loosest sense. Like, okay, uh, if we like you, then you can do whatever the hell you want. Ryan O'Hearn and Hunter Dozier, if you wear enough crosses, if you pray enough, you get to stay on the team. But... If you're a guy who seeks outside help, you get slandered in the friggin' newspaper. You get, you get slammed uh, for, for, for that sort of thing in the newspaper. And it's like, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't understand it. Well, I understand it. I mean, the weird thing is if you understand any sort of organization run by people with sort of like huge egos and who sort of want a cult of personality built around them, this looks very familiar, honestly. Like this looks very much like those sorts of organizations where you're not allowed to send bad news up. When, you know, like when it's all propaganda and spin, like that's what this looks like right now. And that's what you get when you keep where you really, you really don't take criticism. You just say that you do. You just say that you do. (laughs) It's all, it's all buzzwords and spin. There's no actual, you know, principles that you operate from other than, you know, no pornography and faith or whatever. I don't know exactly what the principles are, but like it's, it's, it makes no sense to me. On, on, on baseball terms, in, in organizational management terms, there are no principles. Two principles. No porn, establish the fastball. That's all we got. <laughs> <laughs> no porn. Day oh, one, hilarious. when they do their orientation with new players, they just talk about those two things. Fastballs no and no porn. Establish the fastball. <laughs> so a final question here. We're talking about the organization as a whole, and I think that this this whole saga really speaks poorly to the organization as a whole. Mike, what do you think this whole discourse says about the state of the Royals front office? I think 
it says that they don't actually take criticism. And I think what you said, the accountability thing is very important here. If you can't assess yourself, and a lot of people have been using the word self-scout. If you can't assess your organization and go, this is where our failings are, and then make effective moves, then there's no, then you're never going to get any better. Okay. No, they live in a reality. They, they don't, it feels like they don't live in the same reality that the rest of us do that if they don't see the, what they've been putting out on the field, what they've been getting out of the rotation in the bullpen as evidence, then there's really something wrong with them. Like then they aren't fit to be in the positions that they are in. And I, I also wonder, do they even actually believe the crap that they're saying? Like when Dayton Moore comes out and says, and defends Cal Eldred and says, oh, and does all that stuff. Does he go, man, I just spun a load of crap? Or is it like, and, and he may feel good about doing that. Because if there's one thing we know about Dayton Moore, he's loyal. He he is loyal to his players. He is loyal to his coaches. He, he wants to be like a people person where it's like, hey, I'm going to do what I feel is best for people. And winning might happen, maybe not. Um, I, I get that. But you can't think that continuing that way is good for anybody. If they do, the team will never win. Well, I mean, you mentioned it. I mean, you said, do they live in the same reality, right, as us? And this is another element of those sort of, you know, cults, those cults of personality that, that Dayton Moore has built up around himself where he is the paternalistic figure and he wants to be, you know, benevolent to all these people underneath him. Like we, we mentioned his loyalty as a virtue. And yeah, I, I guess it is, but we don't know what underlies that loyalty. Does he love that loyalty because these are his children and he is their father figure? That's messed up to me, right? Like if that's the case, it's messed up to me, right? I think it might just be because he's a, you know, you know, values person or something like that. That's fine. But the, the organizational, the, the culture of this organization has become a cult of personality around him. And it, it makes it feel like, oh no, everything's going fine. Where do you hear stuff like that? Where on earth, do you hear when things are definitely not going fine and it's obvious to everyone that everything is fine? Mike, can you name a country where that happens frequently? <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm going to give you two. North Korea. North Korea. And actually right now in Russia, they're, Russia. they're really hitting the everything's fine yep. button. Everything is uh, fine. Everything, everything is, is not fine. fine. Uh, what do those two things have in common? A strong man <laughs> dictator figure, right? Like, you know, and it's it's – it's obviously the stakes are not nearly as high. We're talking about a baseball organization here. That's no big deal, honestly. But it is interesting to me that this is sort of what's going on, that what you're reading from them feels like they live in a different reality. I think they do believe all that stuff they say. I think they, you know, that it's a different world over at One Royal Way where like, I mean, in, in the piece in The Athletic, they mentioned that they thought they were going to go 500 this year. Now, I thought that too. Because I had certain things, but they had a model that was like, they're going to be 500 this year. And it's like, and routinely they talk about like, we think we're going to be competitive this year. What? Like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, I have, I had to say like, oh, I have to, I have to look at myself because I was really wrong about this team this year. They're not saying the same stuff. They're not saying like, we need to look at our model because we're like 30 games under 500 right now, you know, like, and we thought we were going to be 500, right? Like they need to be saying that. And yet they're like, nope, we're on the right track. It's all good over here on my thing uh, for the, for the answer to this question. Do you, I, I'm, I definitely think that one of the things that's taking place here is, is called the Dunning Kroger effect or Kruger effect where like they think they know everything there is to know about baseball when in fact there's so much more for them to know. And that's crushing them because they have all this confidence in themselves. We won't listen to this outside criticism. We won't listen to this stuff about advanced pitching metrics or data driven player development. We already know what's going on. Well, guess what? This is exactly what's going on. You're getting passed up by every other team in the league right now when it comes to pitching development. They can all see it. They can all see you have no clothes, but apparently you can't. And that's the messed up thing. And, and one of the things that really, again, irks me about this is that one of the criticisms that Dayton Moore had when he, when he spoke today was, well, these are all anonymous sources and I don't lend any, I think anonymous sources don't have any integrity and blah, 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 blah. What are they supposed to do, Dayton Moore? Are they supposed to come out and say, hi, I'm a scout for the Red Sox. These guys suck. My name's Jim. <laughs> no, they can't do that. They can't. But it's a very convenient attack for the organization. Is uh, These are anonymous sources. Can't trust those. Bullshit. They have to be anonymous sources. You can't go into the business of baseball and go, I'm going to go rip this rival organization 
because for the obvious reason that everybody else is because they suck at it. And I'm just spitting the truth, but that they could, that could be my boss. I may need them down the road. Like you can't do that. So that's one thing that just drives me nuts using the classic, you know, this is anonymous sources. We heard that from some people uh, uh, as well. I I distinctly remember some people critiquing anonymous sources when they were like, uh, "Eh, it doesn't matter. We won't get into that. That's uh, that's a whole (laughs) other thing. Hey, this week is your last week to go see the Royals at Kauffman. Did you know that? We're heading to the last homestand. We're going to take a look and preview that homestand where the Royals play three against the Minnesota Twins and another three against the Seattle Mariners. The Mariners, at least, are looking to get into the playoffs, squeak into a wild card. Minnesota might just be canceling all their hopes of making the playoffs. They're pretty far back at this point. Mike, tell us about the Minnesota Twins, who we just played, so we should know at least a little bit about them. Just got swept, if I'm not mistaken, by the uh, Minnesota Twins. I had almost no hit at one point. And yet they're still like um, six games back in the AL Central. Yeah, they're 73-73. and 73. They're third in the AL Central, six games back. Uh, we've got Greinke going against Dylan Bundy in that first game. We just saw Dylan Bundy. Again, we talked about him last week. Young guy still, but been around forever. Not doing so great with a 4.68 ERA and a 1.26 whip. He does not throw very hard anymore. But he's got a four-pitch mix of the fastball, slider, changeup, and curveball. We'll see if the Royals can get to him. He only went four innings in, in this last week's game, uh, so maybe they'll be able to get to him and, and, and run it up a little bit. Uh, the next day will be somewhat crucial because it'll be another Daniel Lynch start. I think all of those are crucial moving forward because I want to see what he's doing. Uh, against Bailey Ober, which I think we saw him earlier this year, 27-year-old right-hander, He's having a decent year at 3.49 ERA and a 1.16 whip. Not a hard thrower. Doesn't throw his fastball really hard, but he throws it a lot. Um, it is getting hitting, hit quite a bit at 299, but he's got a fastball that averages 92, a slider, a changeup, and a curveball. In the third game, we've got my boy John Heasley. Hopefully he can follow up the good uh, start last week, but we do not know who he'll be going against yet for the Twins as they have not announced the pitcher for that game. So hopefully John Heasley can continue. And start to secure that fifth spot or fourth spot. Heck, if we don't go get anybody, he might be our third starter. <laughs> oh, don't even say that. I, I don't want to hear that. Oh, yeah. After the, um, who are they? You just said their name. After the Twins leave town, Twins. the Mariners will head in. They're playing well lately. They've got a good record. They're in, they're in the thick of it. A lot of excited Mariners fans out there. The Mariners are 80 and 64. That misses them second in the AL West, 14 and a half games behind the Astros but they are clinging to the final wildcard spot in the American League. Um, and there, I think there are a couple games, a few games up on Baltimore, I think, uh, for that final wildcard. So they're doing pretty good. Led, honestly led by their standout rookie, Julio Rodriguez. He's got a 145 OPS plus, hugely athletic, hugely talented guy. We also They also have Ty France having a good year. He destroyed the Royals, you remember, earlier in the year. Uh, Cal Raleigh mm-hmm. is a good young catcher for them. He's putting up some decent numbers with the bat as well. In fact, they just have a quality lineup up and down. They only have one guy in their main starting nine with an OPS under 100, an OPS plus under 100. So all of them are above major league average for the most part. So Seems really like Rodriguez good. is a lock to win the uh, rookie of the oh, year. Oh, Rodriguez is a lock well. to win the AL rookie so. of the year, yeah. He's, he's got that pretty much done up. Their pitching also has quality depth in the rotation. None of their starting five has an ERA over 3.9. And they have, they have a young rookie, I think his name is, oh, I'm going to forget it now. It's like Elliot, George Elliot, or is that an author? I can't remember. Um, but they have some uh, young rookie who is uh, ERA under three. They have Robbie Ray, obviously. So a really talented pitching staff, or at least uh, starting rotation, top to bottom for them. It's not going to be easy for the Royals in that series. We'll end this week's episode like we end every episode with our Just A Bit Outside segment, where we talk about something that's interesting to us outside the world of baseball. Mike, we're almost in under 50 minutes. Hurry up and tell us something that interests you outside the world of baseball. Gambling, duh. <laughs> you and I both love to gamble on sports. Uh, we are excited that Kansas has taken the logical step of allowing sports gambling in the state of Kansas and reaping the benefit from the revenue on that. Hopefully Missouri will be behind it this year. Um, but that doesn't stop a lot of people wink from uh, laying a couple bucks on the NFL I'm, or college I'm football like, or I'm like five minutes from the state whatever. of Kansas. I'm like five minutes from the yeah. state of Kansas. That's true. You can, yeah, yeah. You can do whatever you want. Um, so that's what we've been enjoying. We've been laying some dollars here and there. Uh, I enjoy it. Do it safely. Do it smartly. If you have a problem, one eighty eight bets off or whatever. But uh, it, it makes games enjoyable to watch. Uh, you know, we'll probably maybe do something for this. Uh, 
Sunday night game coming up here. It makes them a little bit more fun to watch and it helps build revenue for your state. So I'm all for that. I, you and I, for literally you and I, since we were 20, I think we've been pushing for the legalization of sports gambling in the state of Missouri, because Mm -hmm. we, we've always seen it as a, as a smart way to raise revenue for education. So, um, I remember as a 20, I think I was 21 or 22, uh, in college writing like every state representative in the state of Missouri one day. I had like a form email I'd, I'd made up and I just sent it to like a million different people. Um, I got some responses. None of them were uh, pro. <laughs> None of them were for None it. None of them were pro. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I'm happy that we're getting smarter as states and allowing that and uh, excited for Missouri to get their crap together and get it done because they were very close last time, the last uh, legislative session. So I'm hoping that once they see the insane amount of money that they're losing to Kansas and Iowa and Illinois and other states that are smarter and move more effectively, then I hope they do something about it. Yeah. Love the gambling. Lots of fun. Uh, not that ev- not that it's for everyone, but it is, uh, it's definitely for me. So I like that. I'm going to talk about something else that's uh, delicious, but uh, not good for you. Uh, not that gambling is not good for <laughs> you, but uh, you know, Sometimes it's not good for people. Um, this weekend, my partner, who is extremely thoughtful and awesome, her parents visited. Um, and she decided that we should go out to this, what do they call it? It's like a cider. It's like a, you can pick An apple apples orchard. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, you can pick apples, but it has a name. It's like a, they make cider there and stuff. And, you know. A cider mill. It's not a mill, though. It's like just basically a house. Uh, <laughs> Working down at the mill. Uh, <laughs> Wait, where was yeah. it? Because I think I've been there. It's near Bonner Springs. Um, okay, yeah, I've been there. Okay, so we went out there, right? And the cool thing was she chose it because they're famous for their apple cider cinnamon donuts, yeah, which I've I absolutely those, love. And it got back in Virginia, but I haven't been able to find any here. She's like, I found some. We're going to go get them. We went out and got them. I got a dozen of these donuts. They're already gone. <laughs> <laughs> like I am just housing these donuts, man. If you have never had an apple cider or cinnamon donut, go out to a cider mill or a cider, whatever the hell it's called out around here. Get them when they're warm. They're even better. Oh my God. You'll first off, you're going to gain 500 pounds because these are the best things ever, but you'll enjoy the journey all the way. Cause they're just the greatest <laughs> thing in the world. I love apple cider, cinnamon donuts so much. Um, I'm thinking about kicking you off the show and just hosting the show with an apple cider cinnamon donut, if that makes sense. I'm, so. I'm, I'm trying to think of the name of the place. There's like, it's, it's like, like a town. It's like Cider Hill Farms or something. I don't know. Yeah, but the name, Paola? Is it no, Paola, I Kansas? Know. I don't know, I, any, I I don't know anything in Kansas. Um, I just know um, that apple cider cinnamon donuts make my heart happy. Or at least they make it move in weird ways. I'm not exactly sure what's going on. <laughs> but uh, um, it's fantastic. Yeah, they're good. Them. I also love the Royals, despite all the harm they do to themselves and me. So keep coming back for more. We'll keep talking about them until the season's over. We're here for you. We're here with you. We're going through this together. So until next week, be good to each other. And go Royals. Royals.